So our series currently is Tough Questions. And our tough question for today is, how do I live as a Christian in a secular nation? Now, some of you might remember two summers ago, Pastor Steve gave a sermon in our Mythbusters series, busting the myth that America is a Christian nation. And he did so using one of our Lutheran doctrines, the doctrine of the distinction of the two kingdoms. And if you've forgotten, don't worry, I forget it too sometimes, but we're going to refresh it today. And let's talk about the questions. Uh, we've received a lot of questions in the area of our, our civil duties and our civil functions. And there were multiples of them, including how do I vote or who do I vote for? Can I support things to be legal that are considered sin and other civil duties like that? So what I was getting from the questions that we received uh, was kind of the overarching theme of how do I participate in my civil duties in a way that witnesses the gospel? And we'll answer that question later on in the sermon if you can't already guess the answer by the sermon. But for now, we're going to stick with how do I live as a Christian in a secular nation? And that's by doing two things. The first one is by properly distinguishing the two kingdoms. Now before I start describing the two kingdoms, I want to say this. God has created the world and this nation and everything else that crawls upon this earth. And he sustains it and he provides for it. And he governs everything on this earth. So when we talk about the distinction of the two kingdoms, we're not talking about which one God is governing. We're talking about how God governs either one of them. So, we have two kingdoms. One of them is the left-hand kingdom, also known as the kingdom of power. This might be known as the civil authority or the civil kingdom. And the other one is the right-hand kingdom, known as the kingdom of grace, which is also referred as the kingdom of heaven. So the reach of both of these kingdoms is as follows. The left hand includes all citizens of this country. So if you're an American citizen, if you have a visa, if you submit to the U.S. government, you are subject to the left-hand kingdom. The right-hand kingdom has power over all faithful Christians. Now let's talk about the function and the purpose of both kingdoms. The right-hand kingdom rules over matters that are spiritual and eternal and care for matters of the soul. And it uses love and mercy and forgiveness and the word of God and the gospel. And a lot of the things we find in that kingdom are based on our faith and the things that we find in the scripture. On the left hand, we have the function to rule over the people in an earthly matter, to pertain to things that are temporal in nature, by using human reason and intuitive moral decision-making. And so we establish order and social justice and general welfare of the population. The left-hand kingdom also has the function of bearing the sword and enacting punishment among the people who break the laws. Paul says in Romans chapter 13, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. Therefore, 
It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. So Paul is saying don't obey the left-hand kingdom because you might be punished, but obey it because it's there for your own good, because God instituted that kingdom as well as his heavenly kingdom. Again, both of these kingdoms are how God governs the world. He just chooses to do so in two different ways. The things about these two kingdoms is that they're also ruled by separate authorities. Jesus says in John 18, when he's questioned by Pilate on claiming whether he's a king or not, he confirms, yes, you say I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this earth. If it were, my servants would have never allowed me to be arrested. You see, Jesus knew that he was not an earthly king. And at the time of Jesus and the time before, the Jewish people looked for a Messiah that God would send to deliver the people. And the image they had of this Messiah was of a man who would rise up from among the Jewish people and he would rise to power as a king or another secular power. And he would, with wisdom, have great political discernment. And he would conquer other nations in battle. And so lift Israel up to be a great nation among all other nations. Even Jesus' disciples thought that Jesus was going to be an earthly king. And when Jesus announced to them, in a few days I will die and I won't be with you anymore, they didn't believe him. But Jesus wasn't an earthly king. He was executed and he died. Rather, he's our heavenly king. And God has set him apart to be the king and the authority over the right-hand kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Whereas God has established the government, any government, to rule over the people in an earthly matter. Now we know that these kingdoms are separate from one another and we make a distinction in these kingdoms. But that doesn't mean that the two kingdoms are against each other. They're created for good purpose and they are created to be in harmony with one another. God has simply set each kingdom to be in control to govern what God has decided them to govern. So even though these two kingdoms are separate, there is one place where they both meet and that is in the individual Christian person. Because we are citizens of the right-hand kingdom by our baptism, by our faith, in communion with Christ and with one another and by membership in the church. And we are members of the left-hand kingdom by being citizens of this country. So, that's where the both of them meet, in the individual Christian. So, in order to live as a Christian in a secular nation, we need to know the distinction between the two kingdoms and where exactly we fit in. The second thing we need to do is properly exercise our function and our duties in both kingdoms. And that's by fulfilling our civil duties and Christian duties. But we can't always do those with the same actions or at the same time. Now, we rely on the right-hand kingdom for matters such as hope and eternal life, salvation, forgiveness, grace, and truth. For the left-hand kingdom, we rely on social justice, order, and welfare of the population. Now, 
one of these kingdoms cannot interfere with the other, and neither of them can govern the other. In America, we happen to have a separation of church and state, which coincidentally is very similar to the Lutheran distinction of the relationship between the church and the state. So, as individuals, we cannot try to interfere as a citizen of one kingdom into the other. I'll give you a quick example. If a boy goes to his parents and says, Mom, Dad, I don't ever want to eat vegetables again. Personally, it's not for me. Instead, I would like to eat ice cream or other desserts all the time. Now, a parent might say, as you can imagine, no. And then the child will say, well, but so-and-so's parents let him eat ice cream all the time. Now, most parents would say, I don't care what so-and-so's parents do. You don't live in so-and-so's parents' house. And you live in our house and you will follow our rules. It's the same way with the two kingdoms. If we go in, or if somebody comes from the secular world into our church, and for example says, don't you know that same-sex marriage is legal now? We voted for it, it's passed through, it's perfectly legal. So you should start marrying people of the same sex in your churches. Well, you would expect us to say, no. It doesn't matter that much what is legal or what is not because the laws of the land do not define what we see as right and wrong necessarily. And while you might think that is legal, we as a church still don't condone that. And in the same way, a person of the church can't just step into the secular world and say, well, didn't you know that homosexuality is viewed as a sin in the church? We don't practice it, so it should be illegal as well. If you've ever tried saying that, you might bump into an answer like, I don't care what the church does. The church has no business interfering in those matters. We have voted for this, and we have passed this law, and that's how it's going to be. And that's how God has also set it up to be. So that's proper as well, because there is a distinction. And usually when we pass laws or appoint leaders, it's because the majority of the people voted to do so in their civil function, in their civil role. And if we try to impose our views, no matter what topic it's on, onto the greater population, then we are at risk of causing civil injustice. Because the gospel does not matter to the people outside of the church. Just as the laws of the land will never trump the word of God to a faithful Christian. And we need to be careful not to impose our Christian values onto a civil world that doesn't know them or necessarily want them. Because again, we might be causing civil injustice and then we will be useless for any kind of witness. Also, if we cause civil injustice, we are in violation not only of our civil duties, we are, we are also in violation of God's command to submit to the governing authorities. Now, when we talk about matters of voting or election or making laws, we are usually pretty quick to get behind an idea or to oppose it very strongly. 
But here's what I urge you to do. Before you back something or oppose it, discern for yourself very carefully whether something is a civil matter or a matter of religion. To give you a few examples, pushing to keep prayer in public schools is a completely civil matter. The schools are run publicly by the government, so they're a civil matter. On the other hand, if the state tries to prevent a private Christian school from teaching religion, that is a matter of faith. That's a matter of the church. When we talk about a civil union between two people, as it's licensed by the state alone, that is fully a civil matter. However, if the state comes into the church and starts telling ministers they have to marry either two people of the same sex or two people who are not even Christian. That is a matter of the church. Now, there are matters that are both civil and religious and are much more complicated and not so black and white, such as the topic of abortion. And depending on who you ask in this country, it's not a matter of life and death. But some will say it absolutely is. And in some cases, you can use both of your functions to defend or oppose a case. Now again, my point in these things is please properly discern whether something is a civil function or a religious function. Uh, Which citizen are you acting as? The left hand or the right hand? Discern properly and act as such. Jesus tells us in our gospel today that we must render to the government whatever belongs to the government. And in doing so, we pay taxes, we vote, we follow the law, we make sure that there's a welfare among our population. And when we give to God what is God's, we partake in Christian service to our neighbors, we bear witness to the gospel, and we practice in our faith and worship with one another. But each one of these is done in their respective kingdom. So when we ask, how do I partake in civil actions in a way that witnesses the gospel? The short answer is, we don't. Because witnessing the gospel is not a function of the American citizen. Bearing witness to the gospel is not a function of a person in the left-hand kingdom. Now, we might try to legislate morality or bring the teachings, maybe even a little forcefully, into the world. But it doesn't work. You see, rather than imposing our laws on the many, what we need to do is act in the right-hand kingdom instead of trying to do it through the left hand. And we do that by bearing witness to the individuals, by making disciples, by serving our neighbors. Not to rely on the left-hand kingdom to do the work of the right-hand kingdom. Now, when we take that approach, we might feel like we're helpless against wherever culture is taking society and the laws and the country. But we're not. Because as I said in the beginning, it's not a matter of which realm God is governing. It's how he chooses to govern either one. Because God appoints all the leaders. God creates all governments. And everything is still in God's hands. And so as Christians, 
We pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. And we pray that God may sustain our country and bless us. And so we take part in our civil duties as American citizens. And we distinguish properly as such. And we take part in the right-hand kingdom duties as Christians. And we bear witness to our neighbors. So, pray for your country and trust in God. So we pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of being in this country. We thank you for the order that you've created. We thank you for your heavenly kingdom and for the government that you've established here on earth for always providing for us. Father, today we pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our people. That you may give us proper discernment on how to act according to each kingdom. That you give us wisdom to elect good leaders. And that you give us your Holy Spirit to do the work of your kingdom. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.